You're listening to Ants Talk. My next guest is one of the top 10 female entrepreneurs in Australia, an author, a global thought leader and international keynote speaker. Jemima Ashley went from a federal government worker to running multiple six-figure businesses all in three years. Jemima also has so many other things on her resume that are so impressive. Let's chat to her about them. Thanks for coming onto the show, Jemima. How are you? Hi, thank you for having me. Can you please follow me around and do that entrance all the time? Because that was like the nicest thing anyone's ever said about me. Thank you so much. I'm available for travel. I only travel first class or business. (laughs) Understood. Me too. Let's do this. (laughs) Let's do it. Hey, firstly, I know that you started out working in prisons and law enforcement. Can you tell me more about that? Uh, I can. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so my first job out of university was I was working for the parole board and um, at 21 making decisions if people, offenders, male offenders, were rehabilitated enough to go back into the community and society and then I would manage them on parole (laughs) while they're out in the community. 21, I don't know how my parents let me do that and quite frankly, I don't know why they gave me a job, but I did that for a couple of years and it was, um, I loved it. Absolutely. I still love it. It was a great job. Yeah. See, that sort of stuff absolutely fascinates me. The whole crime thing, it just fascinates me. Uh, Same. I like, if you go into my Spotify account, it's now just podcasts. Like I used to have heaps of music. It's now just a hundred percent like true crime podcasts. Like who did it? Even this morning I watched a documentary, weirdly on Ivan Milat. There's a new documentary out and I was like, oh yeah, I'll watch that. Yeah, I have to watch that. Yes, you do. Um, Funny enough, I... As a makeup artist, I've done Denny Hines' makeup and she actually wanted to be a, um, was it a criminal psychologist, I think it was? Yeah, um, or, or ba- No, that's right. She wanted to do autopsies. But oh. It was criminal stuff. And I, but that's how we gelled and that's how we became friends is because we're both absolutely fascinated with crime. And we're, you know, we're always talking about podcasts and shows you can watch and books you can read and... Love it. Yeah. And I think that's, if I think anyone that's interested in that, people go, why would you be interested in that? And I think it comes down to the question of that it's about human psychology. Like how does someone get there? Ultimately, like what is the course of life that you start off? We all start off as children. What happened? Was there an incident or were you born that way? And I think it's a really interesting way because I think people that are drawn to this kind of um, life are quite intuitive and they're really interested in, you know, how can you identify these people? And um, one of the things about Ivan Milat, they interviewed someone that survived and um, literally just went into fight or flight, a male guy who was in the car with him and just went, something's really wrong here, and then started to kind of play with him a little bit to test him (laughs) around where his barriers were. And he said it went from really nice to really, really unpleasant very quickly. And he said uh, all the warning signs were there. And I thought how interesting it was that this person picked it up and probably not many other people did to the point that this guy obviously did. So I think the human psychology parts were really, really interesting. And I think that's what I really loved about my career was I got to ask questions and go, why did you do that? How did you get to this? What was the decision-making process? Was this the choice that you made? Like, were you given every opportunity as a child? Or were you actually really drawn a pretty bad cards? Did you actually have really bad things that occurred to you and this is the result of this or have you ultimately done this by yourself? See, that's what fascinates me. I mean, that's why I watch so many of them because I'm I'm trying to work out the psyche behind it. Um, I mean, I even go to bed watching things like that and my husband... Totally fine. 
Should I be worried? <laughs> um, <laughs> funny enough, going back to a point though, did you just hear recently that I think it was Blondie that just came out and said how she was in a situation when she was very young in New York and was it Jeffrey Dahmer maybe? She was actually in the car. She got into the car with him and there were no door handles or whatever and she somehow struggled to get her hand outside the window and open up the door and threw herself out the car. Um, That's crazy. Like, yeah, like and that. it would be... It was Blondie. Yeah, I was shocked. Yeah. Jeffrey Dahmer was, went after men, so it might not oh, have been him. Oh, right. So... But I, th- I won, like, I oh, there's definitely though. a bunch of... It was one of there's, them. There's so many. There's so, so many. I mean, I live in South we, Australia, so hello. <laughs> are, you, are you okay? Blink three times if you need rescue. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not in the barrel yet. Um, You're okay. Yeah, I'm okay. Also, about the profiling for the Australian police. That mm. fascinates me too. Can you tell us a little about that? Yeah, so I am. Um, so my background is all uh, criminal based until it really takes a hard right into business. Uh, Really not related in many ways. Uh, So yeah, I did, um, my undergrad was all in criminology and criminal justice and security. And then I did uh, national security and then I went on to do criminal intelligence. So um, there's been a big shift in the last sort of 10 years to move away from reactive policing, which means, you know, uh, reactive policing is someone stole my hat. Someone has stolen the thing and now we're going to fingerprint and figure out who did it and work backwards. Uh, intelligence-led policing, which is really the shift that people are moving to now because it allows us to predict behaviour and allows us to sort of show where there are hotspots and where there are issues and to maybe predict where issues are going to pop up. It's gained a lot of traction, particularly in the last couple of years, um, and that kind of just goes, you know, more the question of uh, what hats will be stolen, (laughs) why are the hats being stolen, and who could possibly be coordinating this entire thing. Mm. So it really comes down from one offence base to a whole bunch of uh, looking at a whole range of issues, including, you know, society and psyche and psychology of people, and it's really, really interesting. So I got into that um, and loved it. So I did my um, postgrad, all my postgrad working uh, criminal intelligence and loved it and then ended up working as a translator and uh, uh, can read micro expressions as my other little one talent I have. Wow. So yeah, human body language reader. That was my job for a long time and I loved that as well. That's amazing. I'm actually, mm. um, I've just been hooked up through the University of New South Wales um, mm. as being a um, uh, I can recognize people's faces more than other people in society sort of thing. Uh, They call it a a super recognizer. Um, Mm -hmm. And I don't know whether it's because of doing makeup for so many years, because I do never forget a face I've of course done makeup on, but I'm also very, very good at remembering faces. Like even when we were just in New York, we were only there for maybe six, seven days or something, but I already started re-recognizing people when I'd be walking around the streets and stuff like, oh, there's that guy that I saw the other day in blah, 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 blah. So now they just send me tests, you know, every few months and, you know, test me on different things. And it's, I find it absolutely amazing. I love doing all of it. I feel like I'm solving crime or something. Just not yet, but I feel like Batman's going to You never know. I feel like Batman, it's, it's, a, it's a number of dates. It's just answer exactly. the, um, the private I keep, number call. I keep ticking off the dates. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us about um, your position as top 10 female entrepreneur. How did, how did that make you feel? How did it come about? That was crazy. That was actually crazy. So uh, there, just to keep the linear sort of timeline going, I, um, I had in New York actually bringing this whole thing full circle, I had a bit of a chance encounter while I was in New York with a, um, with a 
and I met someone who made incredible jewelry. So my apartment was directly on sort of street level with this guy who was a silversmith and I didn't know what he was doing, but I knew I needed to do the thing that he was doing. So I kind of stalked him for a week. I think it's the only time stalking's ever really paid off. Walked in, I was like, I need to know what you're doing. And he helped me make my first ring. So after that, every night after work, I would kind of wander in, sit down and be like, show me more things and became really, really tight with him. And, uh, to the point where we used to Skype and zoom and he would teach me lessons across the world. Um, from New York to Australia. Yeah. He would teach me, he was based in Brooklyn and had a jewelry um, business there. So, uh, that was kind of the first little business I started. And then I started a podcast series called the business experiment, which was, uh, a pretty successful podcast in its own right. It really topped the charts pretty quickly in Australia. We were all very surprised. And what I learned that I had kind of done is figured out how to roadmap businesses quite well. Like you can't, there's no point if you don't know who your avatar is, you can't market them on social media. And I had a very intuitive way of kind of knowing what I need to do, what needed to do next. It made quite linear sense to me. And, um, I got a phone call and I thought it was a joke. I was like, who is this? <laughs> What's going on? And, um, yeah, they said, uh, we've, we've, um, we have been following what you've been doing. And this is before I'd written a book or really was sort of coaching full time. This became, you know, congratulations. You've been named one of the top 10 entrepreneurs in Australia um, because of what you've achieved in the last couple of years. And that was, um, I'm always a little shy of awards like that because I didn't have to apply for it. They actually just gave it to me. Um, And that was a little confronting because in the most beautiful way, it was like, wow, this is great. But I was like, I just don't feel like one, I deserve this. I haven't done even quite anything like I thought I would have done by now. Yeah. And also I felt like I was really behind and I've never felt like I'm finished, but I think that's the true measure of an entrepreneur. Like we climb a mountain, we write a book and we're like, oh, I feel successful. And then we look and go, I want to write another one. <laughs> like, yeah. But there's someone else has written 10. <laughs> yeah. I, look, I've got to do 11 today. Um, so we have this real, you know, it's a really interesting thing that like, it was so amazing and it's absolutely blown my mind because it's been something that has been, um, you know, through uh, entrepreneur magazine. So it was kind of, a, it was in a pretty big deal, but it felt um, not just in January, but it felt like, wow, this is, this is something I'm on. The, I really felt like I was on the right track. I yeah. I'd left you know, six figure salary. I'd walked away from everything. And I was like, I'm getting hugely public recognition for something that I was very quietly doing in the corner. Mm. So, um, it was kind of amazing and still a little, a little hard for, you know, I'm a bit shy about it because I didn't have to apply for that award. Yeah. It was like, just to me, <laughs> it's like, how do you know that? Though? And also, I mean, th- then you get the focus of all these people on you. You know what I mean? That's another, thing that I find. Yeah. Um, yeah. And coming from law enforcement, I tried to keep myself out of the press as long as I could. Oh, I bet. Exactly. Mm. I'm going back to the podcast, The Business Expert. Tell us about mm. that and that success. Yeah. So, um, the business experiment was, uh, a podcast that was started with a girlfriend of mine, Siobhan Joyce. We went to kindergarten together, (laughs) place like primary school together. We've known each other for forever. And it really came about as a bit of a discussion around, when I first started in business, I learned everything that I could learn. I listened yeah. to every podcast. I watched every webinar. I did all the classes. And within sort of three to four months, I could really tell you who was selling snake oil and who was doing the right thing and who really knew their shit basically. Yeah. So I went and had a, I was having a discussion with Siobhan and I, we were just making ourselves laugh. And I said, this could be a podcast. And I hung the phone up and that was kind of the, the extent of the conversation. 
And someone had tagged me in a post from a really a pop culture magazine, quite well known, who have now been featured in, so I won't name them um, because I use their title a lot. But it was 10 ways to get ahead in business. And one of the tips was eat an apple every day. And I rang her back and I went, if this is the rubbish that we're giving out to entrepreneurs, this isn't fair to entrepreneurs out there. Like, that's not advice. <laughs> That no. is, and it was, the argument was you eat an apple a day, you're going to set your diet up for the day so you can eat well throughout the day and therefore you'll get the right nutrients and you'll act better as an entrepreneur. I was like, this is just crap. Oh my God. So we went, what if we gave people actual tools and tips and tricks and how to do this? And so we started that and within weeks we were breaking titles on itunes we were in you know thousands of download category which never happens we were breaking you know country records sort of 11 countries in the first month and then like first week and then it was you know 50 countries and then we're looking at each other going what the hell and what we realized is we had a really nice formula of heart and warmth and comedy we're australian but also we had some really good advice and people were sharing it and we were really fortunate. We got to um, collaborate with amazing brands like Thank You and Thank You Water. We got, and they do like oh, nappy ranges and food. Yeah, so good. And I um, I was in Melbourne yesterday and I ran into Daniel Flynn, the, one of the co-founders, and um, it was kind of this moment on the street where two people were like, oh my God, how are you guys going? And people were walking up going, I know both of them. <laughs> like, that's so and, um, yes, yeah, so we got to kind of, you know, meet these amazing people and we got to interview people like Tracy Spicer and it was really phenomenal to be able to sort of get that exposure, but we only did it for 18 months and this is the interesting thing. And I think if you are ever looking at doing podcasts or any of your listeners are like, yeah, I need your podcast. Um, the thing is with podcasts is they're evergreen and mm. interviews that I did a year ago or, you know, now are paying off. <laughs> So people yeah. are now calling me like, oh my God, I had this interview that you did and I thought you were great. It was with so-and-so and a year later, people are getting in touch. And I think um, that was really kind of the difference. We never tried to sell anything and it just grew so quickly. And after it finished, we got an inbox explosion. Like I'm talking five to 600 emails in a couple of days. Wow. It was wild. Like I want to be a guest. Can I come on your podcast? Can you guys come and speak at this event? And it turns out Marie Claire had done a huge feature on the, um, on us and the podcast had finished a year earlier. How amazing is that? I know we were in the Australian, like it was, it was wild, like how quickly it kind of grew and how amazing it was. So it was such an amazing experience, but also so amazing to kind of get such, you know, because we created, we, the biggest thing that we did different to everyone else is we added something unique to a conversation. Yeah. We went, what is the business real? Because here's the thing, as we, we were just, just jump, chatting before we jumped on to record and I was saying, oh, goodness, <laughs> this isn't video, right? I'm wearing sweatpants. That's <laughs> the reality. Do you know how many people will, will take photos of their conversations and be like, oh, I'm just hanging out by my Maserati. That's my day today. Oh, it's yeah. not. That's not your car. <laughs> That's not your car. The reality well, is it sucks. It's 3am wake ups. It's having to record between lunch breaks. Yeah. My phone has rang three times while we've been talking and I'm like in an interview, in an interview, in an interview, I will get back to you. It's busy. It's hectic. It's amazing. Best thing you'll ever do. Also the hardest. So that's what we added to a very cluttered conversation. And I think really started an open dialogue about this is really hard. It's the greatest yeah. thing you'll do, but it's really hard. Well, even just doing a podcast, I mean, there's so much work involved, you know, behind the scenes in editing and yeah. 
you know, finishing off and researching questions and writing the questions and, you know, especially international guests where you're having to organize times and, you know, yeah. it's, 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 there's a lot of, I didn't expect. I sort of forgot about that bit. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone says, oh, you just record for an hour. And I was like, and then what you've got to, the post work is, you know, you've got to upload it. You've got to uh, put it on social media. You have to edit it. And if you're doing high end editing, we're talking up to two, three hours for you to edit yeah. a 45 minute audio clip. So, and this is why originally, you know, podcast editors out there were charging $30, $40 podcast. Now they're charging 110, <laughs> Oh, I, The and amount of people going, I get approaching me to do that. It's incredible but it's like, I do my own. Thank you. <laughs> I'm good. I want to, con- you want to control your content. I get that. Absolutely. Great. Well, no, it's also so- because I've, I've only really learned how to do it and I actually really enjoy it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Cause it's a new skill to me. And yeah. I was just like, Absolutely. Oh my God, I love that. I can do this now, you know? So I actually really enjoy that part. Um, and that's yeah. the beauty of only half hour talks. <laughs> 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 I don't have Beautiful. to sit there for that's that right. long doing it. <laughs> yeah, I did an interview once with a lady. She was in South Korea and um, she's like, we only need 15 minutes. At 45 minute mark, she's still asking questions. And I said, look, not to just want to raise my hand here and be like, you know, you did say 15 minutes being 45. Just went, and she goes, oh, honey, I'm just going to do a special episode. It's fine. Oh. <laughs> just keep going. I was like, oh, okay. Cool. Every I'm down. Like, a special it's... episode to me every episode. <laughs> <laughs> Stop it. Say more things like that. I uh, love it. Ants talk. It's like Oprah, but not. Now, you've also been an MC and a comedian. Tell us about that. Yeah. Uh, I'm an improviser. So um, if you've ever seen Whose Line Is It Anyway or Thank God You're Here, that's my wheelhouse. I teach that and um, oh. I've been doing that for about seven or eight years now. So I, um, this, I, moved, I was living in Western Australia in Perth and I got a, with the federal government, I got a job transfer over to Canberra and I had the brilliant idea to give myself a quote holiday and I would drive myself. So to give you an idea, that's about 3000 kilometers or about 6,000 miles. It's really far. So I jump in the car and I um, drive and thankfully my neighbor said to me, I'm going to fill your iPod full of audio books and music. She put on my iPod, a book called Bossy Pants by Tina Fey. And I love Tina. She is a sort of feminine comedy icon for me. I think she's one of the most intelligent people um, and one of the most beautiful kind of souls in comedy and particularly just from a human level. And she's so incredibly talented. So I really had watched her TV show, 30 Rock. That's about as far as I knew about her. And I listened to her book and she started talking about improv classes. So no reception on the Nullarbor. By the time I got to sort of Adelaide, weirdly Snowtown, really another full circle <laughs> moment, I got reception again and I Googled once I got some reception to find out that there was actually impro classes in Canberra. And impro was like a breath of fresh air for me and it really did start my creative life completely and really allowed me to go into business. So Impro, if you haven't heard of that, is basically theatre that you do starting from nothing. There's nothing on stage. It's just you and somebody else generally starting an Impro scene. You might have it and you might get an offer from the audience. It might be a giraffe and suddenly you've got to make it about Mm. you going to the zoo and the giraffe has gotten out and that becomes the storyline. That's comedy theatre. So, um, and it always starts with people wanting to learn how to do whose line is it anyway. And then it fast becomes, you know, doing a long format. The longest format I've done is 36 hours. So that was 
insane. It was for a charity event, uh, one character for that long, no sleeping, which is, oh. it starts off as the best theater show you'll ever see. And then it's just drunk <laughs> people entertaining themselves <laughs> by the end of it because everyone's so tired. Um, and then, you know, it's been, it was absolutely incredible. And so what impro gave me was the ability to fail and fail gloriously and then actually be good. So no one wants to see improvisers kill it all the time. There's this game called questions only where you're only allowed to ask questions. And what is funny is when people go, how are you going? Good. How are you? Good. And everyone laughs because they like you, haha, you broke the rule. You, yeah, yeah. And then you have to go to the back of the line and you have people starting this again. Failure is actually celebrated. And yeah it really made me impervious to any sort of um, any sort of failure. Like if something goes wrong and it really allowed me to not be rattled, but it also let me be creative in a space where I could do whatever I wanted. Mm. And I got to learn um, that people could have careers. Hold on to your hats for this one. People can have careers and it not be nine to five jobs. Yeah. People can teach this stuff. So um, I've had the ability to study under some of the world's best improvisers. I'm heading overseas shortly. I'm either going to go to second city in LA or Chicago. I haven't decided what city yet and learn from some of the best in the world. So it's just been um, absolutely life-changing. And if anyone gets the opportunity to go do some impro classes, they're incredible. I've actually done some myself and I really do think it triggers another part of the brain. I, I just... yeah. It really does. Funny enough, I've got a girlfriend that um, she was actually a model and an actress and then she started doing comedy over in the States. She's from uh, New Zealand originally. And mm. she um, now teaches, uh, you know, humongous scientists that we've, we, you know, we all praise and, and, you know, are amazed at. She now teaches them how to present at conferences with yeah. confidence and with, you know, humour and with, you know, compassion and a majority of those things that, you know, some of them are lacking. So yeah, we, um, I went to go and see, yeah, I went to see Ellen Elder who was played Hawkeye, um, in MASH and he is an amazing improviser, but from his work on MASH, he really became this humanitarian and wanted to teach people about medicine and about science. And in, in many ways, MASH was an extremely progressive show in its rights for LGBTI community. It also was hugely, um, uh, anti, there was racism wasn't tolerated in the show. Like it was for a seventies TV show. It, it was super progressive. Anyway, they, yes. And even now has held the test of time. Like, you know, watch some shows, even friends. Now you watch that and go, does not dated as well as you would hope it would. <laughs> um, this has aged quite well. So I went and saw Ellen Elder. He came out to Australia and saw him there and he was talking about impro. And I had actually skipped an improv class to go and see him. So he's in the audience, he's like talking about improv and I was like, they were taking three questions and I begged them to let me ask the question. I was like, I just want to tell you, Mr. Elder, that I've skipped an improv class to be here. Also, (laughs) half the audience is in my class and we've all skipped it to be here with you right now. He was like, and so then the entire room played an improv game where we punched Uh beats all around the audience. And Ellen Elder was like directing. I was like, this is maybe the highlight of my improv life ever is having Ellen Elder, like with a whole bunch of improvisers. Um, And he talks about doing acting classes regardless of doing improv for anyone Mm. because it just makes you, I think it also makes you a better human. The first rule is yes. And 
Yeah. So the first thing that we're going to do is agree with each other and not come from a place of no. I always find it really jarring when people, oh, well, you know what we should do? We should go to, um, we should meet in Melbourne this weekend and have a drink. And everyone's like, mm, can't do that. Well, can we talk about it and figure out how we can make that possibly work? Can we have a discussion? I think it's really jarring when people start from no. Yeah. It's when funny, you know, I, I, as a makeup artist, I actually do um, some work for a modeling agency where I teach the makeup component of the class. Mm. And I've always said that I believe that all children should do a modeling class purely because not for them to, come, to become a model, but purely just for the confidence and the ability to be able to, because I think that these days a lot of kids are, are quite shy and intimidated at talking to adults. And I think that once they've done the class, I can see that that's changed completely in them. You know what I mean? Like I can hold, if anything, they now come up to me and start a conversation. You know what I mean? And I see such changes in their confidence and I think it's a brilliant thing for all of them, you know? And I think it's so um, undervalued. I think those skills are like, well, what does it give you? And I was like, you introduced me to my tribe. I've met some of my best friends. I met my my husband there. I met met some of the best people I've ever known. Yeah. So why would you want to limit yourself, you know, again, coming from a place of no, but I think that's a certain type of personality that you see during that. And that just gave me, when I learned that I could be on stage and it didn't matter what happened on there as long as I knew what I was talking about, which I do. And I have a microphone and (laughs) you're looking at me. I've got this. And it didn't matter what happened. I've had massive failures, tech issues. I've had um, my microphone has stopped working to an audience of hundreds and hundreds of people. And I was like, right guys. And some people would panic. I get that. This is not going according to plan. I just spoke a lot louder and said, cheap seats in the back. Can you hear me? <laughs> yes. No. Yes. I can. Okay, cool. I'm just going to get real loud real quick. Sorry guys. Yeah. Until they fix you. That's it. Exactly. I mean, that's all you can do. I mean, in reality, we're all human. And I mean, we've, I think that in so many situations, we need to be reminded of that, that, you know, yeah. technology is not always going to save us. If uh, no. you've got two high-five, no, <laughs> something like that. One of those brands, let's not, I'll bleep just, that brand. Let's out. not name, let's not name names, but yeah, you know who you are. Yeah, exactly. You know who you are. Now, listen, um, can you tell us also about your expertise in teaching on LGBTQTI issues? Man, you've done some research. Oh, I have. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh my God, how do you know about that? Um, yeah, totally true. I uh, worked for the Gay and Lesbian Liaison Officer Department. I was one of the trainers and on their executive team. Um, and I trained police officers and uh, the LGBTI community have not had a good relationship previously. Mm. And what I wanted to do was teach people, um, especially new officers around the issues that really did affect all of the community, but specifically really impacted LGBTIQA community. So we, I used to go to um, the Australian Federal Police College and train people exclusively in how to deal with specific calls. And because some people aren't out and because there are obviously really some really serious issues that just affect that part of the community, I wanted to make sure that people particularly new officers had that information that, and a lot of the education was just around, it may not make sense to you. The complaint may not make complete sense. That's where you get us involved. We can ask more delicate questions if you're not comfortable doing that, because we need to build it, rebuild a relationship of trust between the community and also the, um, you know, the law enforcement side. And because I both identify as well as have a, um, you know, I was working in law enforcement. It was a really nice bridging exercise for me 
to help, you know, the relations on both sides. So I did a lot of training. I taught um, all over Australia, which was amazing and got the opportunity to assist um, people that wouldn't have felt comfortable to talk to the law enforcement and talk to police in the first place and just mm-hmm. open that communication and be like, this is a safe place now. I know it hasn't previously been that. I know there are still some old age stuff here and some, you know, some things we have to break down, but ultimately we're all trying to do the same thing to keep everyone safe. Yeah. I actually started seeing those changes when I was in New South Wales because I actually used to work at the AIDS council there. Yeah. Um, and of course we were working with the police force at that stage, trying to get those, you know, initiatives happening and educating yeah. a little bit more and stuff like that. And I mean, it has changed a lot there. I mean, there's still long way yeah. to go everywhere but um you know yeah. it's, it's great to see and it's also great great to see them getting involved and wanting to be involved and even marching yeah. in, you know the uh, mardi gras program. mardi gras i have been to mardi gras four or five times now marching only i've never watched it and i feel so bad about that because everyone's I've like it's the best one to watch i'm like i've, I've done marching. both i've done both and to be honest, like when I marched, I felt like a celebrity. I think they were all, I felt like they were just all there for me. Oh, um, they are all there for you, aren't they? <laughs> what no one tells you though, if you do it, is it's really long. It's long. It was like, just, it's, I think it's something like seven or nine hours that you're on your feet. Yeah. And that's like, and that's like holding room. Like yeah. you, I, like I spent a lot of time, we, my boss, this is a couple of amazing things that happen when we are at Sydney headquarters and that's not far from where Mardi Gras no, starts. No, exactly. Right. We always yeah. have like a float nearby and um, it's always a couple of police vehicles and stuff. And there's always one person that has to become like the Kenny, the koala. And it's like <laughs> this massive outfit. But the problem is it's generally like, it sometimes usually rains. Like weirdly on oh, that yeah. night, there's a lot of rain. That's Fred now. Yeah, just tears of now. Sorry, not sorry. Um, but one of, the, one of the bosses was like, listen, last year we got a fine for the bus because we had a bus that would go up and back from Canberra. We got a fine last year because there was glitter everywhere. So if everyone could, and this was a year I think Mardi Gras tried to ban glitter. It didn't go well. Um, at least five glitter cannons, which I didn't even know were a thing. And here's the thing, law enforcement, in the background, there's always a bond threat against Mardi Gras. It happens every yeah. year. Fine. We know it's there. We are there in a law enforcement capacity, but also mostly public relations capacity. So people are trained. We get a briefing. And then this boom goes off and everyone's like, oh, God, where did that come from? And then we just see Galisha. And I was like, our boss is going to kill us. Oh. I took I got back to the office and it was like Tinkerbell had exploded on me. There was like glitter in places one should not have glitter. And I'm like, how did this happen? And you find it for weeks after. Absolutely. The the bus, we just got our our butts handed to us. It was like, how have you guys got so much glitter? I'm like, we didn't do this to ourselves. (laughs) Like this was done by other people. And, you know, the one thing I will say about it is that I don't think I ever got hugged as much as I did at that point. Yeah, I had um, Magda Zemanski hugged me so hard, was actually sort of came out, um, hugged me so hard. I, I really felt like I was going to have like broken ribs. Like she's like, thank you for being here and trying to doing what you guys are doing. Yeah. And you know, we had 50 or 60 people there. And the whole night you just end up hugging people, which is incredible. And yeah. I'm really honored that my workplace gave me that ability to do that. Yeah, that was the one thing I noticed is when I was marching that people would just be calling me over just to hug me. It yeah, I had this woman, this elderly lady, she would have been 80, 87, like she would, old lady, and she hung off me and she's like, I'm so proud of you and I love you. If your family doesn't love who you are, I love you. And I was like, 
stop it. I'm good. <laughs> but thank you. Like it's the most amazing just, feeling. It really. So if you get the opportunity, if you're listening to this and you want to go to Mardi Gras, go and get on Do the it. Book the ticket. Now, yeah, and I was going to sorry. I was going to ask you who are your icons. Oh, oh, that's like opening a can of worms for me. Um, how much time did you say we had? Um, <laughs> We've already gone over half an hour, so don't worry. <laughs> we're here now, fine. Um, my my absolute business icon is Gary Vaynerchuk. Okay. Um, so Gary is a Russian-born immigrant who moved out to America and runs a whole bunch of businesses. But the thing I love about Gary is he says it how it is. Um, and he's really not afraid of he just makes a lot of sense he was my first business mentor and I had the opportunity to meet him and he is kind of absolutely probably my favorite person on the planet if I had to say something um wow that's amazing I love him yeah Gary Vaynerchuk go find him I think he's under Gary V on Facebook um and there's a whole bunch of other people impacted me uh, you know some of five people and all of that sort of stuff mm. um I really liked I, for a long time, I followed a lot of Tony Robbins stuff and then it kind of got a bit, bit too untangible for me. Yeah. I did too. I actually used to really enjoy listening to him and then it, I don't know, then it, I suppose it was, it wasn't really him. It was more the people that listened to him that I'm friends with on Facebook and stuff. It started to become a little bit like a church to me and I was just a bit like. <sighs> yeah. And I think as you develop in your journey, uh, of this crazy thing called life. I think it should change. I don't think yeah. we should always stay with the same people. Um, yeah. And I think, you know, I really liked reading things from Lisa Messenger and then I realized sort of a lot of her books were kind of cut and paste and copy from previously things that she'd already, already done. And I was like, you're not really adding a lot to the conversation. So I think that kind of shifts. And, um, I guess for, to a degree, I'm a little bit between people. I am obsessed with Lillian Tomlin, oh, <laughs> the, um, right. the actress, I think she's just one of the most fascinating women in the world. Um, and when you go and research her history, she's just an incredible woman. Uh, I'm really, really interested in her at the moment, been reading a lot about her. Right. That's fantastic. Mm. Now, mm. also, I just wanted before I go, where can people mm. find more about you and your work? Uh, it's the most complicated website, JemimaAshley.com. Uh, <laughs> so you have every, much everything that you need is pretty much there. Um, you can get my book. You can get a whole bunch of free stuff. You can get the audio book where I attempt to read my own words, which is <laughs> the hardest thing I've ever done in my entire life. <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, absolute ton of videos and free downloadables that you can go and get right now. So, which will really help you grow and expand your business, which is really what my whole goal is in this: is to make sure businesses succeed. Sure. And, and what what it. I'll do is I'll pop the link to that website within the oh, description too. So people can just click on that and go and find you. But I just wanted to thank you so much for coming onto the show and having a chat. I really appreciate it. I find you fascinating. And I just, especially because we, we share so many similar interests. I think it's fantastic. I, I feel like we, you and I will just have like a Facebook thread now that's just... <laughs> documentaries and be like, did you see this? Have you watched this one yet? Did you watch this one on Netflix? I've just finished watching um, one on Fred Durst. Oh, no, it's his name. Um, What's his name? I know know who you mean. mean. What is it called? Anyway, we'll talk about this off air. (laughs) It's so interesting. Um, Absolutely incredible. um, Yeah, Netflix is really killing it for things like that. I mean, I'm just loving how many crime shows they bring on. It's Amazing. It's like a dream come true. <laughs> I am all about this. 
All right. Well, thank you so much. We'll um, let the listeners go and we'll continue to chat. <laughs> thank you so much for having me on the show. It was absolutely amazing. Pleasure. Thank you so much. Bye. While you work, run, walk, or even relax. Ants Talk. Listen to some fabulousness.